first, let me ask you this question. If you could describe in one word, sort of like the predominant emotion or feeling uh, that everyone has right now in light of this global pandemic, in light of COVID-19, what would that word be? Like if you could describe in one word the predominant emotion everyone's feeling uh, right now, uh, what would that word be? Likely, you came up with the word fear. Fear or anxiety or stress or worry or some form of that word. Uh, I mean, our lives are so different right now. And we're trying to make sense of this. I mean, everyone's pantry looks like a bunker. Uh, kids are making like tinfoil hats on craft day and suddenly every day is craft day. Um, Alyssa was at the store earlier this week. I think she was at Trader Joe's. Uh, my wife, Alyssa, uh, she was there and, and, and Trader Joe's was just about to close. Uh, and she said, as the doors were closing in, uh, some guy like ran up, stuck his cart in between, uh, the doors, finagled his way through, uh, and all the employees were like, sir, we're closed. Like, sorry, you can't come in. And he just completely ignored them, just pushed on through in a panic, in a hurry, uh, to grab whatever it is that he, he needed, uh, at, um, at, at Trader Joe's. Definitely not cauliflower rice. Cause that seems to be the only thing that nobody's getting at Trader Joe's. Uh, but, um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I mean, things are just different. Things are wild. People are panicking. They're, they're fearful. They're worried. They're anxious. And many of us are asking questions like, how do we make sense of this? What does God say about all this? What has he revealed in the scriptures that might be helpful for us in this very unique cultural uh, moment that we're all living in? Uh, culture is quickly realizing that secular or secularism and postmodernism uh, haven't really prepared us well uh, for times of crises and tragedy like the world is experiencing uh, right now. And so in talking with uh, just members of our leadership team, we, we sort of decided the most helpful thing for us as a church would be to walk through a very special Bible teaching series that we're going to call Faith Over Fear. Faith over fear, and it is our prayer that you would, uh, through this teaching series, uh, gain this unique sense of courage to trust God and to love others well in this unique cultural uh, moment. And so we're going to talk about trusting this morning in the presence of God. Trusting in the presence of God, even in the most troubling of times. Like many, for many of us, these are really uh, uncertain times. And some of us, many of us are troubled by it. Like you might be experiencing physical trouble. Maybe you're sick. You're like, do I have this thing? Or you're tired. Uh, you haven't been sleeping uh, much because of depression or anxiety or uh, kids um, uh, trying to figure things out. Or you, you have emotional trouble. Like you're worried, you're anxious, you're frustrated. Uh, maybe it's relational trouble. Like if you're an extrovert, this is your nightmare. Uh, or if you're an introvert and you don't like the people you live with, then this could also be your nightmare. Um, and, or maybe you have like job trouble or financial trouble. Like some of you are concerned about job security. I know, I, I know because I've, I've talked to some of you guys on the phone this week. You're worried about 
job security or your financial security, how your paycheck's going to be affected by this, your decrease in pay. Uh, you're worried about um, how your investments are looking. I mean, who knew in the year of our Lord 2020 that we'd be dumping our stock in Tesla and wishing we bought stock in toilet paper? Um, it's just crazy. Like, what, what do we do when life is like this, when life is hard, when we're facing hardship, when we're hit by what we might call a storm? when we suffer a whirlwind of chaos and when we wonder in the midst of it, like where is God in the middle of all this? Where is he? And so I want us to look at this passage in Matthew chapter eight, where Jesus and his disciples are going to find themselves in the middle of a very troubling storm. It's complete chaos. And the big idea, I'm just going to give it to you on the front end. The big idea I want you to walk away with is that because God is with us in Jesus, just like we sang this morning, because God is with us in Jesus, we can experience uh, calm in the middle of life's storms. Because God is with us in Christ, we can be experiencing calm in the middle of the storm. And so in Matthew chapter 8, our first point this morning, I want us to just uh, deal with the reality of the, just the problem of life's storms, that there's a very real problem that we deal with storms in life. And, and for that, I want us to look at verse 23 and 24. Uh, it says, when, when he, this is talking about Jesus, when, when he got into the boat, Jesus' disciples, they, they followed him. Verse 24 says, And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he, Jesus, he was asleep. Now, here's what's happening. Jesus is on one side of what's called the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee was sort of like ground zero for Jesus spreading the good news of the gospel. Uh, Jesus came as God in the flesh uh, uh, to be the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, to defeat evil, sin, and death once and for all, uh, to right every wrong, and to make all things new. He came to push back the works of darkness and to usher in the works or what he calls the kingdom of light. That was his mission. And the Sea of Galilee was sort of ground zero for that mission of his spreading the good news of the gospel, that God has come to save us uh, from our worst enemies, evil, sin, and death. And, and at this point in the story, in Matthew chapter 8, uh, verse uh, twenty. 23, uh, at this point in the story, uh, uh, Jesus is, is sort of packing his bags and he's setting off to go to the other side of the lake, the other side of the sea. Uh, he's going to take the good news to a whole nother group in the region that still needs to hear it. Um, and that's, I mean, that's God's mission. That's Jesus's mission. That, that's our mission too, to spread the good news of a hope, the good news of the gospel to people who desperately need to hear it, much like we're the people around us in times like today. And so that was Jesus's mission, just like it's our mission. And so when he was, uh, 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 you know, sharing the gospel on one side of the Sea of Galilee, he at this point started moving to the other side so he could spread it to more regions. And in doing so, he took his uh, small group of followers, uh, these 12 dudes, he called them his disciples or his apostles, and he leads them into this sea where 
uh, a sea, a, a storm, a sea storm would arise. Now, these guys, they probably would have loved to stay on the hillside on that one side of Galilee or on the shore, which is where they were just sitting by Jesus, uh, having him teach them and perform these miracles. But they would probably would have loved to stay in that uh, spiritually high moment. Uh, but here, Jesus led them out from that hill. He led them out from the shore into a boat and through a storm. And that's kind of like our lives too, right? Like that's kind of like real life where we have these sweet inspirational moments, these spiritual highs, we're feeling encouraged, we're feeling good, but then all of a sudden tomorrow comes or we, we turn the corner and we realize we have to get up from that place and actually live out our faith in the real world where, where sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we suffer. Verse 24, it says that a storm arose from the sea. Now let's talk about the power of the storm itself. Um, the Sea of Galilee was technically just like a really large freshwater lake. I know we call it a sea, but it's just a really large lake. It's about five times the size of Rancho Santa Margarita Lake, so it's not that big. Uh, and it lies... Uh, 700 feet uh, sort of below sea level. It sits in this deep valley uh, surrounded by these, these, these high mountains. Uh, and the reason that these geography uh, details are relevant is because when the warm currents would, that rose up, the warm currents, they would rise up from the lake. And then the cold currents would, would uh, kind of slide down uh, from the mountains. And, and the collision of those two would often cause these sharp, small, but super gnarly and just wild storms, these almost like mini hurricanes that would often sweep across the surface of the water. So in some sense, you could say the geography created a literal recipe for disaster, like an actual natural disaster, these mini hurricanes. And so when a storm would come, uh, it, it would come hard, it would come fast, it would just hit you. And, and, and to this day, they've got like all these warning signs up against the Sea of Galilee. Uh, you could go there today and they've got these warning signs uh, where you park your car that, say, that tell people not to park your car near the coast for too long because uh, it's very possible for you to check in the brunch in one moment, uh, only to leave a couple hours later and see your car kind of like floating down uh, the stream, uh, down the sea. Like it gets that bad. So it's desperate. It's, it's dangerous. It's, uh, unexpected. Um, in this, in, and it just, the storms can come quickly and hit you before you even knew it was coming. And, uh, these first century Jews back then, uh, they were not a seafaring people. So Jesus and his disciples, they're, they're Jewish. And so they're, they're it's important to know that they're not, um, they're not a seafaring people. They're, 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 they were desert people. Like to them, the sea was a symbol of chaos and evil. It was a symbol of the unknown, the unpredictable, and the uncontrollable. They had this entire poem, this Psalm uh, 93, uh, that talks about how the Lord is so great that he even has power over all creation, including the wicked seas. And so that the ancient first century Jew, the sea was not a place for recreation. Like you would never go on vacation to the sea. The sea was a 
place where evil and God clash. That was their understanding. It was, it was a reminder to them. The sea was a reminder to them that sin had entered the world, that creation was broken, and that now the world that we live in, even nature itself, is marked by the nasty effects of sin. And so the Bible tells us that suffering in this world, I mean, it really comes from just really one of three places. One is, like we just mentioned, that the whole universe was fractured uh, when sin entered the cosmos. The whole universe was fractured, it was tainted, it was stained when sin entered the cosmos. Our morality, our ability to reason, our bodies are, are, are not perfect. They're, they're tainted. They're imperfect and our bodies are wasting away. The Bible says that creation itself groans through storms and through disasters. Uh, the reason that we have sickness and disease is because uh, when sin entered the world, it, it fractioned creation. We were never meant to be sick and, and, and die. Like God created everything perfect and beautiful, but then it was broken in the fall. It only broke when sin entered the world. And so sometimes suffering happens just simply because the world is broken. And I think every single one of us, regardless of your faith background, kind of has a sense of that, right? Like you just look around and you have this sense that things aren't what they should be that there's something that isn't right, that there's something that's broken in this world, in this cosmos that we inhabit. Sometimes suffering happens because people are sinful. That's the second reason. We suffer because maybe we cause sin against others, and then that causes them suffering, causes us suffering. Sometimes others su uh, cause uh, sin against us, that causes suffering. Um, the third reason that we might suffer is also like demonic influence. Now, this one obviously doesn't get as much press as the other ones, uh, but the scriptures tell us that spiritual forces have waged war against God and mankind and caused suffering around us. And so the suffering that exists around us can be any one of those three things. This pandemic uh, is most likely that first one, but the, 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 the results, the fruit of that pandemic might trickle into the others too. It causes us... Like that, um, like that guy at, uh, at the store that Alyssa ran into, um, it, it can cause us sometimes to treat people unkindly, to be worried, um, um, to have uh, you know, uh, spiritual influences uh, 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 maybe tempt us towards anxiety or depression or confusion. Uh, and so it's important to keep all of those things uh, in mind. And in every single one of those, regardless of where the suffering comes from, Sometimes suffering's overwhelming, right? Like it just completely overwhelms us. In verse 24, uh, it says that um, it says that uh, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. It says their boat was being swamped by the waves. Now that, that word for swamped uh, is this Greek word, kaluptistai. Uh, Kaluptistai. The root uh, Greek is kaluptho, which means to fold over to where it's like completely gets covered, uh, kind of like a tortilla in a burrito, right? <laughs> like the tortilla, tortilla folds over, and then like if you did it right, um, kind of like Chipotle does it. Hopefully, everything is covered, uh, and so that's the idea here: is that um, the waves swamped, completely covered over their boat in the sea. And so we have this vivid image of them just getting swallowed up by the sea. 
And how many of us have like felt like that lately? Where we feel overwhelmed this week because of the news cycle, because of how hard it is at home trying to figure out like what, do we, what does our family do? How do we keep the kids busy? How do I keep myself busy? Just kind of driving ourselves crazy. How many of us feel or have felt overwhelmed this week? How many of us like where this week, uh, just this, this, this imagery of a storm, like we really resonate with that. Like, yeah, this feels like a storm that hit me. And that's real life. That's the real world. This is what life is like. Like sometimes God sends us out into the storm. And that's what I love about the Bible is that the Bible is honest about that fact. It isn't shy when it comes to the hard stuff. It isn't shy when it comes to the fact that sometimes uh, uh, life is hard. It can be physically hard, emotionally hard, spiritually, financially, socially. Like it, it, it can be turmoil. But sometimes we step out into the world, we're hit by a storm, and it just feels like we're getting swallowed up. And I love that the Bible is just honest about that. But I want to see in these next two verses um, the power of God over the storm. That's our second point. How even when we're feeling overwhelmed and swallowed up, that God has power over the storm. Read verse 24 and 25 with me. Um, again, 24 says, Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that their boat was being swamped by the waves, but, but he, but Jesus, was asleep. And they went, the disciples went, and they woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Now the windstorm, like literally this mini hurricane, it says it arose. The boat was being swamped, uh, and and it, it 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 it's important for us to recognize that that their boat was most likely kind of like eight feet wide, more like a canoe than a cruise ship. Right? You don't want to be in a hurricane, in a storm, in a canoe. And the disciples, some of them were fishermen. And even they were like, we're in trouble. We're going to die. Save us, Lord. We are perishing. And where's Jesus in this scene? It's what he's fast asleep. He's fast asleep. Uh, he's asleep on a pillow. And that, that, that scene is just wild, right? That Jesus is asleep in this. It reminds us that even though there are times that God seems asleep to us or distant in the face of trouble, uh, that he often still allows like these storms to come in, in, in rage um, when, he, when he seems uh, like asleep or distant um, and we wonder where he's at, why he's allowed this. Um, like sometimes he, he just kind of like allows us to, to walk through those storms to get hit by those storms. And you might be thinking like, that doesn't sound like good news, so then what What gives? Um, but when you do a brief survey of the scriptures, you actually see that God never lets a storm go to waste. He allows storms to creep in for trials to hit us, to grow us in character, and to equip us to minister to others. Some years ago, uh, my wife and I went through this really hard uh, trial at an old church, and uh, we were severely wounded by some people that we loved uh, that were there. And in in, in God's strange providence, uh, our church now, King's Cross Church, has really become a home 
for people who, who have similar wounds to heal. And so in hindsight, Alyssa and I have seen that, you know, God has made us walk through something really hard, uh, but we, he made us better because of it. And he also equipped us through that to, to help others. And he helped also helped us see through that um, the wonderful things that we do have to, to appreciate anew uh, some of his wonderful graces. Uh, Elizabeth Elliot, uh, the uh, famous uh, author and the wife of the missionary Jim Elliot, uh, she tells this story about how um, this one time she was visiting these friends of hers in northern Wales. And uh, these, these, these friends, they owned a sheep ranch. And she noticed uh, this uh, during her time there that the head shepherd, every few months, would take the sheep and one sheep at a time, he would put the sheep in what's called a sheep dip. Uh, and if you know anything about a sheep ranch, um, I'm guessing most of us don't, <laughs> but if you know anything about a sheep ranch, like a sheep dip is this large vat of uh, like liquid insecticide and fungicide um, to, to, to help protect the sheep. And uh, when the sheep get put in, uh, it, 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 uh, they get, uh, you know, coated in this stuff. Uh, and if they don't get put in, what ends up happening is they get all eaten up. Uh, they get all bloated. Uh, and many of them will end up dying from bug bites. Uh, but when you do put them in the dip, when you put them in the vat, dunking their heads in, like you got to dump the sheep's head in. And at that moment, the sheep just loses its mind, like uh, understandably, right? The sheep starts losing its mind because it doesn't understand like why you're doing it. It has this limited perspective. They start to freak out like, you're drowning us. Somebody help us. Uh, they can't see the big picture. They don't have the shepherd's view. And sometimes that's like us. We're going through a storm. We're going through a trial. We feel like, God, what is going on? I feel like you're trying to drown us. But we don't have the shepherd's view. Sometimes we just wonder when we're suffering why Jesus doesn't just hurry up. Why he doesn't just fix our problems when we want them fixed. Why he doesn't just wake up and show up like the disciples were probably wondering. But anytime we find ourselves troubled by a trial, it's easy to think that God has forgotten us. But that's because we don't have his perspective. We don't understand his process. Like God isn't after our comfort. He's after our Christ-likeness. That's what he's after. He's not after our comfort. He's after our Christ-likeness. He wants to make us holy. That's his goal. I love the way that Paul Tripp articulates this. He's a biblical counselor over on the East Coast. Uh, um, and, and he says, in one of his devotionals, he says, making us holy, that is God's unwavering agenda until we're taken home to be with him. And he will do whatever he needs to do to produce holiness in us. He wants us to be a community of joy, but he's willing to compromise our temporal happiness in order to increase our Christ-likeness. You see, if we knew what God was doing for our good and for his glory, then our perspective might change. 
our perspective might change. Jesus asleep in the middle of this storm in Matthew 8 is a picture for us that reminds us that God will not be hurried. Even when it feels like he's missing or even when it feels like he can't hear us or like he's asleep, we need to trust that he is faithful and that his good purposes will always prevail. And so the disciples, they, they wake him and then they ask, they say, they, they, they say, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And look at how Jesus responds in verse 26. It says, he said to them, Jesus said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Or in the original language, it's oh, oh, little faith. It's like a name, almost like a nickname. Uh, and then he says, then, then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Jesus responds, why are you afraid, O oh, you of little faith? Then he rose, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Now what happens right here? In these verses is nothing short of awesome. I and mean, we kind of overuse that word awesome, but when you think of the true sense of that word, inspiring awe to a magnitude that is just like unreachable, um, that's what these verses are. That's what how you can describe what happened here. Jesus speaks to the elements of nature to the wind and the sea, and he tells nature, he addresses nature personally like a master commanding his servants. It says he rebukes nature. And what that reveals to us is that this man, Jesus, is unlike any other man. This is the God man. This Jesus in the boat with them is the Lord God Almighty, the maker and sustainer of heaven and of earth. He is the ruler of all things, the ruler of nature, the creator, the one who holds authority to speak to nature and to actually have it obey. It says he rebuked the winds and the seas. It's that, that it has this sense that like he told the seas to basically like sit down and shut up. And what's wild is that he's talking to a storm. He says that to a storm, sit down, shut up, and it obeys. It stopped. The storm, the waves respond to his voice. They stopped and they were as smooth as glass. It says there was a great calm the end of verse 26 the disciples realize in this moment the reason they marvel is because they realize that this jesus is the one that we sing about in the psalms this Jesus is the one sung about in the poem, Psalm 93. That's the big idea that the disciples are starting to learn that Jesus, he is the very power of God. He has the power to do what only the God who created the sea can do. He is God. This man in the boat with them is God in the flesh in all his fullness and all his goodness and all his glory and all his power. Jesus Christ is the Lord God Almighty. He did a ton of amazing things in front of them, in front of the disciples. But what happens here in these verses on that boat is just a whole other level. 
the power of Jesus they're seeing is so formidable that at the end of this, they start to see Jesus almost like as a stranger. They're like, who are you? We thought you knew who we are. I mean, they thought he was this teacher, like a rabbi, but now they're realizing he's so much more. Read verse 27 with me. It says, then the men, the disciples, they marveled saying, what sort of man is this? That even the winds and sea obey him. They thought he was just a mere man. But who was he? He was the God who holds power over nature itself. Next thing we see is the presence of God in the storm. There are bad situations where like, we can alter our course and then our suffering changes, right? But then there are moments just like the one we're living in where we're just completely helpless. Like, what do we do in a moment like this when we're suffering, uh, when we're anxious, and there's really nothing that we can do about the situation that's making us anxious? Look where the disciples turned in verse 25 again. It says, they, they, they said, save us, Lord, we are perishing. They turn to Jesus, the one in the boat, and they say, save us, Lord, we are perishing. That's what I want you to see is that when all hope is lost, we are forced to remember the greatest and surest hope that we have, Jesus. The reason he was there in the boat with them at all, the reason that he was in the world in the first place was because he cares for us. He wants to rescue us from the greatest storm of all, the ravages of sin against our soul and of the world. The whole reason that Jesus came, the reason that he's even in the boat, the reason that he's there in the world at all, just the fact that he came into the world is because he cares for us. Where is Jesus in the middle of all this? He's in the boat with them. He's in the world with us. God with us. Just like we sang. Jesus knew the power of God in him. He knew the plan of God for his life, that he would exchange his throne for a cross. And this storm, this storm in Matthew 8, he knows is nothing compared to the storm that he will one, one day face. That's why he's the only one not going wild on this boat. Remember the, our big idea. Because God is with us in Jesus, we can experience calm in the middle of the storm. Because God is with us in Jesus, we can experience calm in the middle of the storm. I want you to notice before Jesus calmed the storm, they were... These disciples, they were like terrified. They were afraid to die. They said, Lord, we, we are perishing. Save us. They were afraid to die. But then after he calmed the storm, they were no longer afraid. They just marveled at Jesus. They marveled at Jesus. First, they were in awe before the storm, but now they're more in awe before the power of Jesus. Look at verse 27 again. It says, the men marveled. They marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? It's like they didn't even know who he was anymore. They knew the storm had great power, but suddenly Jesus' power is greater. They saw, thought the storm was uncontrollable, but Jesus apparently is, his power is, is something else to wield. His power has no limit. 
do you want to know what that practically means for us? Like how, what, how we're to make sense of all this? Like if Jesus has that kind of power, then he, he, then when, when he is walking us through a storm, we must know that he must have some divine reason for the hard things that we just don't understand. You see, if, if, this, if, if he really is this God, if this passage of scripture is true, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you believe it to be true, if you know that Jesus has that kind of power, this great raw power, then when he is walking us through a storm, we must understand that he has some divine reason for the hard things that we just um, haven't quite grasped yet. Which question shapes the way that you live more? God, where are you? Why don't you care? Or the question, hey, self, why don't you trust God more? Why don't you turn to him? Why don't you trust him? He has a plan in this. He will carry us through this. And that's our last and final concluding point, the plan of God through the storm. You see, following Jesus does not, it doesn't give us like this parent's note uh, that allows us to skip out uh, or excuse us from having to walk through storms. No, God's love and his power does not promise us better circumstances in this life. What it does offer us is better hope in the midst of our circumstances. You see, until Jesus returns, both believers and unbelievers will continue to deal with the effects of sin on our world. We'll continue to walk through troubles in this world. If your view of Jesus is that you won't go through hard stuff, then you're not following the real Jesus. You'll still, we're all still going to endure storm, storm, or storms. We're st- all still going to endure laments. We're still going to endure a sense of longing. But free grace and forgiveness, grace for all of life, joy in the middle of suffering, and a relationship with the living God on high, that is what Jesus has promised to give us. That is what he secured for us, and that's what we need the most. That's what will be a rock to us when the storm comes in, when it swamps over You see, there is a far greater storm than the one in Matthew 8. We mentioned it earlier. There's a greater storm, a more formidable one than the one that the disciples endured on the Sea of Galilee. It's not, this storm isn't on a sea uh, in the, the, the ancient Near East. It's on the Sea of Eternity. It's the storm of sin that rages in all of our hearts, in all of our nature. Sin that separates us from our good, just, holy, and loving maker, the one that we're made for, the one that, 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 that brings us peace and hope and rest. And because of our maker's love for us, because of God's love for us, in spite of how truly unlovable we are deep down inside, because of that love, he came in the form of Jesus, the Son of God. And Jesus came to earth to be with us. In the same way he was with the disciples in the boat, he was with us in our world. And Jesus would endure the ultimate storm, the storm of our sin and death, the storm of God's justice against our sin. And as he stood in our place on the cross, that storm 
that great storm, that greater storm, raged until it eventually took Jesus's life. And on Good Friday, his head wasn't resting on a pillow in a boat. It was slumped on a cross at the top of a hill. But on the third day, his tomb was empty. And the ultimate storm, that greater storm, was finally defeated, finally stilled. When he rose from his grave, he rebuked death itself. And now on the other side of the resurrection, we can have a sure and mighty hope in the face of life's storms, even in the face of death. Now, if Jesus endured that storm for you, if he endured that storm for me, if he was willing to brave the greatest storm on that cross, then man, when you accept that and receive that gift, that will settle above anything else, the deepest peace in your heart. That will ground your troubled soul. I love the way Tim Keller articulates this when he says, and if you know that he did not abandon you in that ultimate storm, what makes you think he would abandon you in much smaller storms you're experiencing right now? And someday, of course, he will return and still all storms for all eternity. If you let that good news penetrate, if you let that message penetrate to the very center of your being, you will know he loves you. You will know he cares. And then you will have the power to handle everything in life with poise. I love the way that Keller articulates that. You know, Christian peace isn't idealistic. It isn't about having no storms that like we can't have that on this side of death. It's not idealistic, but Christian peace is realistic and supernatural. It recognizes that, hey, storms will hit us, storms will come. But you can have peace and calm for your soul in the middle of the storm because of what Jesus did for us. Man, handling anything in life Handling this pandemic, handling your fear with poise, as Keller says, that is what the world needs right now. That is what our families need right now. People that handle the pandemic with poise to be a calm presence in the middle of the storm. And so church, friends, if friends, if that's something that that we want to do if we want to be a calm presence in the middle of this storm then we can do that by trusting in Jesus by considering him to be enough enough in his love enough in his power to calm the storm that rages in our hearts thanking Jesus praying in his name serving others in his name in these things by the power of the Spirit, 
we have poise, we can be calm, we can be present for the glory of God and for the good of others. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.